Hello and welcome to IRC Book Club. I've no idea what number show we're on, but I know we've now done a lot maybe, of them. Maybe, well, I noticed that Conor McGregor's fight was number 246. Hashtag UFC 246. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was impressive, wasn't it, Conor McGregor? Really good, seconds. that. Really good, yeah. Really good. Proper through the knee into he's the got, fella, didn't he? He's going to... He threw his shoulder in lock, didn't he? He's going to um, fight this Khabib character that took him out last time. He's, I've seen him fight. Big rematch. Brilliant. Big rematch. I was talking to some guys the other day who were going to the uh, Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder fight in Vegas. That'd be cool. Yeah. Be anyway, back to reality. We're on part two. Back to our getting things done: the art of stress-free productivity by David Allen. We are, and we are very much into the nitty-gritty of this book. I've got to say, for those that haven't listened, I re- to be clear, because I don't like chap- uh, part two. I thought part one was excellent, actually. So just tell us, just before we kick off here, what don't you like about part two? I think it's really old-fashioned and outdated. Um, Antiquated. Yeah, I mean, we'll get, we'll go through it, and, and, and I'll, I'll be critical of it all the time. But I mean, I've got comments like, "There is no chance I'm going to do this." <laughs> this is ridiculous. Okay, so listeners, what's taking place in part two? of the book Getting Things Done is in the first part it gives us a little bit of a grounding in the system and the concept of the GTD... And the system and concept uh, is excellent. ...of the GTD methodology. And then what we really get in part two is a very practical step-by-step manual on how to... It's a Haynes manual. It is a a Haynes-level manual on setting up a GTD workflow system. And you can't knock him for giving that. No. Now, I think Michael's objection is some of it well, is a little bit antiquated. So the first bit he says you've got to do is set some time aside to implement GTD. So let's assume you've got a shitload of rubbish on your desk, your head's not straight. And, and you know, I remember it, it was always used to be something we'd all often do with somebody that was struggling to... If you had a good performer whose head had gone, often one of the first things you'd do would be just a big clear out, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Big clear out, buy them a new diary, mm-hmm. get them a new system, clear the decks, empty all the rubbish out of the desk. People always feel better, feel more in control, more calm. Yes. Less stressed. And I we try were- and have as little on my desk as possible. And if I ever walk in and there's something, I look at my desk and think, did I use that yesterday? If the answer is no, I take Does it, it off my desk. serve me? If the answer is no, I take it off my desk. Fair play. You do do a very minimal desk, don't you? Mm, yes. So. I'm the like first thing he does is he says you set aside time. And I'd be interested to know how much time the average salesperson allocates to this kind of project. Oh, not very long. Do you um, not reckon? I don't. He says two days are not required to benefit from the techniques and principles. They will start to pay off almost instantly. But what he does recommend is a full weekend. Yes, he does. Are we on page 89 yet? I'm on page 87. And then we get into... Um, what is interesting is I'm I'm in the process of re-implementing GTD. Oh, now I thought you might be having read it. I, I tend to be running a, a GTD-ish system anyway. But I am re-implementing and re-reinforcing some of those rules. And then he talks about setting up space. You'll need a physical location to serve as your central cockpit of control. Now, as much as I mock the book, what's interesting is we but interview the, a lot of candidates online and... Oh, you when can you tell so somebody, much about home by a person by the home office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if they've got a home office, that's a good start. But when I meet somebody that's on the dining room table... <laughs> or in their daughter's bedroom. Yeah, I think, on this their is a, I just think this is a bad start. Yeah. 
Dining, ver- dining room tables are bad start. I think it's a bad start. That I think very few of the high performing salespeople work from the dining room table. A bad start for anybody above a specific level in the in the game. No, I completely agree. If you've not got a dedicated working space that is an office. No, I have met people who live in London who have got a corner of what clearly is their lounge. Yes. But I know that that's definitely an office desk. It's a work space. Yes. They've not just put it on a coffee table. Yeah. If you're sitting, and I know somebody who sits on their sofa, who was the geezer who sat on his bed pricey? Can't remember. You had a client in Leeds, it was a software company in Leeds. Can't remember. And the client used to refer to the to this particular sales guy as the idiot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can he used to refer to this specific sales guy as the idiot. Yeah. And the idiot that he referred to used to sit, he used to call him, and he was actually sat on his bed on his yeah, laptop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So chief exec used to <laughs> Skype call the idiot, and, and the, the idiot, idiot would answer it, and he was sat on his bed. Sat on his bed. With the laptop rested on his knee. I mean, that's a bad start. That's a bad start. He had that's... a terrible track record. And he had a bad track record, and he was a bad salesman. Yeah. But he had a bad attitude to work, didn't he? Oh, uh, I'm but, sitting on my bed lounging so, so about. So much of this, setting up the space, get an intro. No, I'm not going to do that. Page 89. Absolutely no chance at all. But, you know, actually having a, uh, an office space, absolutely correct. I like this, an office space in transit. I sort of have this imag- imag- this thing that jumps into my imagination that David Allen drives around in a van. <laughs> the inside of it, you decked out like an drives office. Drives around in a van with now, this filing is a, Now, this is the bit it. that I really disliked. Go on. Page 92. Let's assume you're starting from, from scratch. In addition to a desktop workspace, you'll need paper holding trays, at least three, stack of plain letter-sized paper, pen, stroke pencil, post-its, three-by-threes, paper clips, a staple and staples, scotch tape, rubber bands, an automatic labeler, file folders, a calendar. Waste basket, recycling bins, current tools used for data capture, organising, and to-do lists, including mobile devices, personal computers, and paper-based planners and notebooks, brackets, if any. I mean, it's very detailed, but yeah, this is where he loses me. This is where he loses me a little bit. So he talks about plain paper, and we've sort of talked in the previous show about capturing stuff that's on your mind, and we—I I totally agree with with, with with the GTD methodology of capturing shit that's on your mind, you know, and the book's been a great prompter for me to really focus my my mind back on capturing things that are on my mind, capturing the fact that I'd promised myself I'd steam clean some of the dirt in the grout in the bathroom. Just get a grout whitener. Right. Is it white grout? No, it's a bit darker and it just looks a bit grim. Uh, Really, what you should do is you should really think about I don't, think this is helping our, I don't think it's helping our listeners. Right, okay. <laughs> so, um, so it's little things like that of not just walking past it and allowing that to take up psychic RAM and actually making a note in a place tagged to a context called things to do in the house. I've got a house list. Things to do in the house of, because that's not a job really that Mrs. G should be doing. That's a, that's, it's a sort of more manly well, it's job. Manly, that isn't it's a manly yes, job. Cleaning it's, the ground in your bathroom. It, uh, that's a job I should be doing. Therefore, actually, it's in my list of... And, and what he's saying is, now I've digitally, literally, I was in the bathroom, all right, my phone was with me, um, but I actually took a photo of it, it's gone into an Asana task and it's been tagged as home. Right? I've captured it. Done. Fact. Done. Fast. 
now on Saturday or over on Friday when I think what am I going to do this weekend? I'll look at my list of home things. Right? What he is saying in the book, and he's pretty emphatic about, and I think he'll still argue the toss about when he comes on the show. And I've got to tell you, I'm going to argue back is you'll use plain paper for the initial collection process. Believe it or not, putting one thought on one full-size sheet of paper can have enormous value. Most people will wind up processing their notes into some sort of list organiser. But by having initial thoughts separated into discrete placeholders versus one amorphous list, it makes it easier to wrestle it to closure later in the processing and organising steps. In any case, it's important to have plenty of letter-sized writing paper or tablets around to make sure a capturing ad hoc input is easy. I didn't have a piece of plain paper in the bathroom. Well, you use toilet paper. <laughs> I, 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 I don't have a piece of plain paper in my car when I'm flying down the motorway. I don't have a piece of plain paper when I'm on the treadmill in the gym, yeah. which is actually where I do a lot of my best thinking or whilst I'm working out. I do it whilst I'm wandering around with the dog. Any, oh, when I'm out and about with the dog, I do a lot of great thinking. When I'm walking in particular, well, walking has been psychologically proven to be incredibly good for creativity and thinking. Um, and then we start getting into post-its. Personally, I cannot stand the concept of post-its. I very, very, very seldom use them. They just sort of get lost, rubbish. And then the idea of putting things into files and labelling files. It's just old-fashioned, that, isn't it? It should have rewritten that yeah. chapter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I do have some... Mike, you and I do have... Let's get it right. We've got a lock-up. The business has been trading long yeah, enough when did you last go to it? Oh, we never go to the lock-up. The lock-up is only there I to, go to satisfy. Put, I, go, I go to it to put some of my Christmas decks in it. <laughs> do you? Yeah. It, 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 we've got this lockup. Well, it's just got all the paper crap in Big it. Big yellow. Can't throw uh, out. Yeah. It's got paper crap in it that we can't throw out for HMRC. Yes. That's it. And none of it's really particularly filed, is it? That's, you know, if they want to come along and. Go, and yep. There's the key. Good yeah, if they want to come along and give us some shit, they can have the key to the lockup and then, frankly, nick off, can't they? Um, but paper stuff, really. You know, I've got a, a, a bit of stuff to process later on today, stuff from the accountant, a couple of things I haven't done. Scan it. Scan it on your phone and turn it straight into a task that's in an inbox where you then look at it and ask yourself what it is and make sure it goes into an actionable pile. Fair enough. Chapter 5. Have you not finished in Chapter 4? Uh, what else is there here? Do you need an organiser? The critical factor of a filing system. So, you know, and this is where he's lost me a little bit, you know. Um... Yesterday, my wife blew a, a, fly a flat on the car. And he's talking about putting things in a file, labelling them and putting them in a folder and putting them, putting them away as paper. Yesterday, the missus blew a flat on the car. I needed the AA to come out pretty quickly. She was, the, the flat blew in a very precarious place. It was actually very dangerous. It was pitch dark. She was on her own in the middle of nowhere. I needed to find the AA quickly and my AA membership number. I just went straight into my Evernote account and found it. Yep. I didn't go into a filing cabinet <laughs> and go to A. It was just in there. Uh, at least a bit at the front, though, because it's AA. Well, actually, it was tagged as... There was a tag in Evernote called DAA. So, obviously, I went... I immediately saw the tag, hit the tag button, and it showed me all the correspondence I've got to do with DAA. Anyway, come on, Chapter 5. Unless you've got anything else to say about Chapter um, 4. No, other than it's... What I don't want, and I'd, I'd hate... To, for a listener to not implement GTD or to not pick this up because you and I are pasting this part of the book, which is a little bit antiquated, that would be a shame. 
Um, oh, let's be clear. I wouldn't. Uh, I won't uh, implement GTD. But you. But a lot of what you do is GTD. Without you realising it, except that you have a more modern twist on it, and it's your own workflow. Mm, I don't, don't necessarily because you capture that. everything that's on your mind, and you file everything for reference accurately. I know, but you and you know where any, everything you is. Could say that about any system, couldn't you? Near our house systems the same as that. It's well. I think the key point is if you're capturing everything that's on your mind, putting it in a place where it's going to get looked at, and then get the requisite attention at the right times and that you've got the reference material that you need for everything to hand, you're in a good place, aren't you? Exactly. You know, his point is, until you've captured everything that has your intention, some part of you will still not totally trust that you're working with the whole picture of your world. And he's absolutely right. You can only feel good about what you're not doing when you know everything you're not doing. Which I get. Yeah. And then what he's also talking about is pulling together things like reference material and supplies and capturing it all together. And literally, he's talking about walking into your home office and putting everything in the office in your in-tray, more Easy. or less. No, not more or less, that's what he's talking about. Literally, physical stuff. stuff because, yeah, and the, yeah, let's get it right, I'm looking in my home office at the moment. Um, it's little things like I've got a broken camera in a, in a drawer. He'd say, what are you doing with that? What is it? You see, he goes on, doesn't he, to say that he coaches people. And he would say when he coaches people, he'd get that camera and he'd say, well, what is it? What's the next physical action? Well, actually, the next physical action is to get it fixed. Well, what are the key physical actions to get that he camera fixed? He would say it was a project, though, wouldn't he? He'd say, well, that's a project. That's a three or four multi-step project. You need to get a box in which to post it, find out the cost of the postage, find out who you post it to. Mm. He'd say mm. they're mul- it's a multi-stage task, isn't it? But what he's saying is, if it's sat in your office, just accumulating dust... It's taking up what he would refer to as psychic RAM. He would, yes. Well, it's, it's taking up some take, of yours, hasn't it? Then, it's Jonathan? taking up a little bit of your mental brain space. And every time you look at it, the other part is, and he talks about this later on in the theory part of the book, is that it's a promise that's unbroken. It's a broken promise with yourself. Mm. That you probably, at some point, you put it in the place in the office with a little promise to yourself that, well, I'll get that sorted. And then not done so. And therefore, that broken promise to yourself is a damage to your self-esteem and the trust that you have in yourself in the same way that if somebody breaks a promise to you, they break they break your trust in them. Yes. And that's his point, is all those unbroken promises, all those commitments, they might be the camera that you didn't quite get fixed. Do you think or, he makes that point? Yes, he does. He's very clear about that point that all that shit that's on your desk are loop, what he calls open loops. They're all little open loops. They're all things that, that mean something. Fair enough. That roll of gaffer tape that's on my desk right now. That, that was Jonathan's at, secret Santa. It was my secret Santa gift, which actually, with, with all due respect, came in very handy only the other week. He did, yeah. Anyway, come on. Chapter five. And then what he talks about is the mental mind sweep. And just getting everything off your mind. And I, do you know what I really like here? I thought well, it was you're really in, are you great. In chapter five, yeah. I'm on, I'm on page one one six. Okay. Capturing and corralling. He creates this list of incompletion triggers to help you do a mental mind sweep of everything that's on your mind. That is real gold. That pricey. If you were doing a, a, a complete refresh of your system, if you were sit, to sit down and say, 
okay, right, I'm just going to make sure I'm brain dumped everything, get totally organised. And, t- and, you know, one of the reasons we've selected this book for January is it's a time where people decide to really get their, get their stuff together. He's got this massive list of incompletion triggers. So he goes into things like reports, proposals, marketing materials, manuals, summaries, uh, financial, cash, budgets, forecasts, profit and loss, balance sheet, planning, business plans, marketing plans, financial plans, meetings, presentations. Just And there are pages of things to ask yourself about that are on your mind mm. that you can use as incompletion triggers. And I think that's actually a fabulous little list that. If you went through that and asked that you'd just come up with a million things that were on your mind that weren't in a system. And the whole point of the GTD system is if it's on your mind, it's stopping you from being a, stopping you from thinking clearly and being creative. Well, well, I don't necessarily agree that's it. It is that's the whole point of the whole system. Nothing the brain is for thinking, not remembering. That's Why the whole point. Why did they put that then in the book? Cuz it didn't say that anywhere in the book. Well, you're it, you're adding that to it to no, be kind to him. He has never said that in this book. No, he hasn't. But if you know the David Allen concept, if you, for example, on the Tim Ferriss show, and if you do the whole, and this is my point about the book is, it should be 56 pages long. Why did he say one, that in the book? Open up because that is you being, I agree with you. The brain he, is for thinking, not, not remembering. But he has not said that in here. No, I'm more succinct than him. Which is surprising. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. And that's the point of GTD is your brain is for thinking, not remembering. If you're remembering, you aren't thinking. And if yeah, you yeah, ain't yeah. thinking, you ain't creating. And if you ain't creating in the modern world, you ain't adding value. So well, the, a, co- the computers do the thinking, don't they? Don't correct. Do that's the reality. Or the computers will do the thinking for you. And then what he talks about is when you've corralled everything, absolutely everything, excuse me, I've just got a little bit of a problem with this mic. When you've corralled absolutely everything... You should be writing that down on a piece of A4 paper. That is actually an open loop. That's an open loop that's going to frustrate you again, John. Because it's an open loop that made that has made me grumpy. And actually, it needs fixing. Look at that. <laughs> For those of you watching in black and white, Jonathan's currently getting very grumpy with his <laughs> microphone. So let's get to chapter six. Right. I'll, I'll just talk for a bit because Johnny's going to sit there getting angry. Because this and angry. friction arm is is not acting like a friction arm, is it? Well, it's frictionless. Yes, it's a frictionless friction arm. Uh, so, chapter six, clarifying getting in to empty. Yes. So the basic point about this is, you've got everything in your box. Is once you've looked at all your what he calls stuff, which is fair enough. Open loops. Once you looked at all your stuff, once you've done it all, you'll feel pretty good. And he's talking to you about how to get through and process the things yeah. in your in your stuff. So you've got a massive pile of stuff in your tray now. Yeah, you've got a massive pile of stuff in your tray. Massive and, list. And, and he's saying, how do you get through it to get to it all being done? And at that point, the workflow that we talked about on page 37. Well, it, well it's, a, it's the same diagram, isn't it? It's exactly the same diagram. Yeah. And it's a good one, page 123. You know, you know it, it, in so many ways... He should have had this uh, diagram in the first five or six pages and explained this diagram. I'd have bought the system a lot more then. Well, actually, I've got the Getting Things Done workbook right. in my laptop bag. Um, and, it, it, and if you're listening and you are serious about getting organised, I actually, I think I'd recommend going on Skillshare. There's a one-hour course with, I think... Dave, or on Udemy, you could do the one-hour video course of getting things done with David Allen. 
And then I would recommend buying the GTD workbook and working through the workbook. It's much clearer. Okay. Um, much clearer and I think much more powerful, actually. It, it's a really good So this workbook. whole chapter is talking about the processing decisions, which, I mean, we can talk about in pieces if you want, but... It, it, it... And then what he's saying is you take each item and you ask yourself, what is it? What is this? Can I action it? And is it... I mean, what? page 131. Yeah. Can I action it? And what Whenever is Whenever you come across action? something you want to keep, make a label for it, put it in a file folder, and tuck it into your filing drawer. Yeah. I, I think if he was going to update it, he, sh he should have thought a little bit about that. Yeah. Really. You know, let's... 99% of the stuff that arrives in my way is well, digital. When do you ever get a letter? I literally get letters at home. I don't even bother opening them. What's the point? The only ones I open are the brown ones because they're tax ones. Apart from Barclay card who send the junk mail in a brown envelope. Yeah. Smart that. You know, you look this morning, I've come in and I've processed everything that was in my inbox right down to inbox zero, which we'll talk about under separate cover as part of this book. Because I know you're not an inbox zero guy, are you? No, I don't see any point. What's the point? Um, uh, so I've inbox zero. All my zeroed, emails are red though. I've inbox zeroed everything. Literally, my inbox in my emails is 100% empty. Um, and... All I do, if it's referenceable, is I've just got an Evernote button in Outlook. Hit, Evernote, tag, done. Seconds. I'm not printing labels and putting it in paper files. Like this. I page, haven't got the time. Page 131. And if there is an action, what is it? I do actually like this bit. This next is, action, this again, is... means the next physical, visible activity that would be required to move the situation toward closure. Yeah. And a, no, could, right let's linger on this a minute. This is a central tenet of the GTD concept. It is, yeah, yeah. It is, because you've got stuff just sat around. Because what, often... David Allen would say, why is that sat there? Yeah, often it's very easy, and this is the point he's making, is very easy to not distinguish between, for example, uh, a client pipeline item mm. as a to-do, and actually what is the next physical action to move that forward. Or, for example, our social media calendar. Doing, We've done it this morning. Or putting book club together. What is the next physical action of getting book club published? Not a task that just says book club. What is the next thing that I need mm -hmm. to do with that? And I think Absolutely. that... that it's very, it's not easy just sitting here now if you haven't read the book. And I, I, I am going to, when we get to this end, end of this cycle, I'm going to recommend GTD very, very heavily. Um, it, it, he, I can't recommend it enough. Just based on, if all you got out of it was asking yourself, every time you looked at something that you need to do, what's the next physical next action? Wow, that's, that's a game changer in itself. Like I say, you know, I'm very negative about lots of it. But there's some good stuff here, you know. You, so page 134, you decide what the next ne next action step is. Do it if it takes less than two minutes. Delegate it if you're not the most appropriate person to do the action. Defer it into your organisation. You know, do defer, delegate. You've been banging on about that for ages. Yeah. I don't necessarily buy into it 100%, but it's a good idea. The two-minute rule. That it's more or less the point that it when it starts taking longer to store and track an item than deal with it the first do time. Do you know, I don't... I, I feel that the book is missing, Mike when he talks about do, defer, and delegate. 
is he doesn't talk enough about time blocking for specific action items. Well, he doesn't talk about that at all, apart from in calendars, which I know that you weren't a fan of that particular bit of the cha chapter. But he so did what, sort of pay So what he's missing then. is the concept of okay, let's look at action item X. Okay, can I be done? It can it be done in less than two minutes? No. Is it multi-stage? Yes. And what he's missing is a. What is it? What are the core component action items of getting it done? And then B, when am I going to do them? And I, and I do feel out of this methodology that he see, doesn't see, give enough attention to, well, when are you going to do it? Well, see, I thought he covered that, actually, in, fair, in, in his defence, which is a strange way around for, for this book particularly, isn't it? But I get your point. Um, he goes on, then, about duty for a delegate. I think the only issue with delegate is... Not everybody's got people to delegate shit Well, let's, let's pass you that. But let's say the other element of delegation is... Let's say there's something that you that you you've got a task that's really important to you. You've got a new client. It's called Microsoft. Uh, as part of your your client, they say, "Listen, Johnny, we'll either look at business intelligence people, healthcare people, or we'll look at ERP salespeople." That's a well, it's an unlikely combination, I know, but it's an example. So you go right, Microsoft. I'm going to look at my healthcare guys, my BI guys, matching to the ERP guys. I'm going to delegate that to Mike. That to you is a is a grade A task. Really important. Category A. But you've sent it to me. Yeah. Now, actually, two things here. One, you sent it to me via email. I'm going to check on my emails periodically. So, when am I going to do it? That's part one of delegation. Two, I look at it and go, yeah, whatever, Johnny. You want me to do something for you on Microsoft? I'm doing with Oracle. Yeah, yeah. Yours stacks down the rank. Now, the delegation thing isn't isn't ideal, I don't think, in the way that the do defer delegate thing works in that sense. Because delegation, you are too um, reliant on where that sits in somebody else's uh, hierarchy of things to do, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but part of that is about being a leader and sometimes helping the person you've delegated to understand what the priorities are. Well, what if you're not the leader? What if you're the equal? There's no one to do it, they? Well, then it's not really delegation, is it? It's yeah, but some people have... Some, some, and there is a big difference between delegation and abdication. Yeah, but some people have certain skills in other in certain areas, don't they? Anyway. Um, so then we're on Chapter 7, organising, setting up the right buckets. Now, I do agree with the buckets thing, actually. Um, I mean, I've put here in my notes, I won't do any of this. But having a total and seamless system of organisation in place gives you tremendous power because it allows your mind to let go of lower-level thinking and to graduate to intuitive focusing undistracted by matters that I haven't been able to deal with you haven't been able to deal with appropriately fair enough um i like the idea of setting up buckets and now he's referring to the uh, vertical nature Just of the assignment system explain what he means by a bucket well i think he's, he th he thinks categorize things into certain tasks and then uh, into certain types so one might be a project type, one might be a house list of stuff you've got to do at home, one might be well, matching to Microsoft. So he's referring to those as contexts. I don't think he is because it says the basic categories on page 142. Hold on. Projects list, project support material, next actions list, waiting for list and reference material list. They're the basic buckets. Mm. So you've got a list of all your projects. Yeah, yeah. No matter what they are. That might be your creating my pizza oven project. Yeah, yeah. Uh, being a better photographer project, being nice to my kids project, uh, improving my lead volume project. Um, so I've got a project at the moment, it's like a business development project that I'm doing on 
channels to market that are alternative to just winning new business. That's a project yeah. in itself. There's a little project tab, and then it has subtasks in the project. And then what he also then go is referring to are what he refers to as contexts, as buckets. So well, you've got your pro, you've got your you've got your buckets, and then you've got these contextual buckets. What he's saying is, and this is I don't agree with at all. He's saying you've got a list called calls. Now I just don't think that works. Don't work for a salesperson. It do, and it doesn't work for me as a small business, as a director of a small business, and who we also wears a salesman's hat. Because actually, I've got several different buckets of calls. I've got a bucket of calls. I've got one. I've got to ring our solicitor about a naughty client that didn't want to pay us. Then I've got. Customer calls and candidate calls and project calls and canvassing calls. Mm-mm. And they're all separate contexts in and of their own right. I agree with you completely. You know so I've I, got the same So mindset. I don't, that doesn't work for me. Um, I do agree, you know, at, at, you know, the, another context that he calls at computer. Sorry, mate, but I've been at my computer since 6am this morning. Yeah, and mean, I'll be it, at my computer till I go to yoga at 530 I'm always at my bloody computer. Well, it dates the book a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, that dates for me. Now, that, there is a point that says, look, you're not that much of a road warrior and you're not on the road that much. And let's get it right. You've got a list called car calls. I have, yeah, yeah. That's a context. David Allen said, well, that's one of your contexts. Yeah, but that just, that, that just fits his system. It isn't something that I've taken from his system. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote, at office... You know, I think I just think that's a slightly silly context, really, to think about. Mm. And then he's got a list of what he calls agendas. Now, I, uh, what he means by an agenda, a list of agendas are lists of things that you would talk about with specific people in specific times. So I know, for example, in Mike's daybook, there is a list called JG. hundred percent, yeah, stuff I want to. He has another list called. He has another list called Lily. I do, yeah, yeah. He has another list called L- Laura. Lily knows what's in my list because I've asked her for it already, and it'll be in her list. Yeah. And in the same way, I have a project tab in my system called Lily and a project tab called Mike and a project tab called Laura. Mm. And in it are lists of things that if I have a call with Laura, I then go, right, I've got eight things I need to just check with you now. And that's very useful. And that's classic GTD. Well, well I've got to say, this. I, I don't know where you're at in the book now, but I'm on page 156, 157. Yeah. Um, and he's talking about creating folders in Outlook. He doesn't what? say Outlook. Says I don't like that. Sorry? don't like that. I, I like that. I do it. Do you? Yeah. I do, yeah. I do do that. I've got a Jonathan folder. Do you? Yes. That you never look at? Well, I do, though. But you know you know when I've looked at it. I, if Periodically. Never, yeah, well, at certain times, though. Yes. Because your stuff, to me, is just admin stuff. Because, actually, if anything's really important, you I, go, well, if Mike, any, what, what, what was this? Correct. Like? If it's really important, it's in my mind column. Well, and, and you know how to communicate with communicate with me, which is by text. Correct. If it's urgent or important, if it's re- if it's text. important, I'll text you. If it's re- if it's urgent, you get a phone call. Correct. But I, I like the idea, and and what he's talking about here is it's worth reading actually. This bit. <laughs> it's funny thing to say, isn't it? It's worth reading this bit. Um, <laughs> is um, he's talking about uh, creating different folders in Outlook and using keywords in your email reply and stuff, so that they then get rooted into those folders, which I do like. Now, I don't like Asana, but I do like the way Asana puts uh, email into the communication channel on the project. I do think that's smart. Yeah, I love that. Really good, that. 
So that, just to that's explain, the only reason I'd use Asana actually. Yeah, really, that's really. So clever. just to explain, listeners, uh, uh, and and we are not sponsored by Asana. Um, well, I'm definitely not. Uh, but uh, in an Asana, I could create a task, for example, ask Mike about a agreed dividend bonus, as an example, and then in that task in the comments box, I would go at Michael. Uh, I think we should give ourselves £2.50 each this quarter as a dividend bonus. What do you think? And that will actually go to Mike as an email, because Mike doesn't like to use the chat function inside Asana. Mike will reply to that email, and it will go back into my comments box Works really well, that. related to that, te to, to that task. So I've it's, it's immediately filed the correspondence for me. And Mike's happy because he's still dealing in email, and I'm happy because I'm dealing with system. Uh, with legal software, that's how legal software works. As correct, well, isn't it? correct. You send a, send a, an email. Con a, contact file and activity management, as we used to call it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really smart that I do like that. But in fairness to David Allen, yeah, the more I talk about this book, the more I think. I wonder if David Allen sets up a sauna. No, a, a lot. If you very Asana, if you if you do a search on Google for GTD apps. Yeah. Pretty much every app that comes up, Todoist, Things, uh, OmniFocus, Asana, Monday.com, they're all GTD apps. They're all based on GTD methodology. Literally, every, every modern productivity app, to be fair, is loosely based around the GTD method. Fair enough. So where are, we, where are you up to now, Jonathan? So I'm on 1.8. 159 here, organising okay. project reminders. Value of a complete, proje complete projects list. And then I think where it, re again, really starts getting interesting is we get into what he calls the weekly review. Yeah. Yeah, you see, it's interesting, the weekly review, because I think that if you create your projects correctly, you'll have a reminder on a certain date. So you don't really need the weekly review. But I can see why he puts it in. Well, what he's saying is, once you've got your system up and running, the point of the weekly review is to go through the different levels of thought, starting at the very ground level of the basic tasks and working all the way up to that very high level of what's important to me, where do I want to be, what are my high-level goals and spiritual goals in life over the five levels. And, the point, and, and to be fair, normally I do a weekly review on a Sunday morning for a couple of hours of everything that's sort of loose in, in, in my world and have a bit of a think and I plan my week and I block out my time for things I want to work on. Mm. Um, funnily enough, I've done it this morning because yesterday I spent time, A, finishing off reading this and B, running around after a load of family issues that uh, all sort of cropped up as emergent. Um, that notwithstanding it, I think that's very powerful. And something that, I, again, I think is really interesting in the book itself is how comprehensive he goes yeah, I mean, you process. can't knock him. He gives you a system. You know, literally into using contact managers, he which contact managers system. to use, how to set up a reference system. But some of that is very dated. I really do think the concept of, you know, how to file and do general well, this, reference This filing. guy clearly was putting stuff in the filing cabinet. Yeah. Uh, page 171, organising non-actionable data. Interesting, one of the biggest problems with most people's personal management systems is that they blend a few actionable things with a large amount of data and material that has value but no action attached. See that a lot. Yes. A lot. And you can drown in that stuff. And before you know it, nothing's got done. I, I've got a pal, well, you know him, that, and you're involved in it, there's a little sort of small project. He sends me so much crap, it's unbelievable. What about that project? Yeah. 
I'll sort that out. Pages. We'd have to sort everything out, Jonathan. <laughs> pages and pages and pages. And I think to myself, that must be how he lives his life. Just storing all these documents for no real reason other than, well, that might be important, I'll store it. But there's no action on any of them. I don't think he's read many of them. Just documents. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, sh- then we've got about libraries and archives, blah de blah. Yeah, and then triggers for activating projects. Page one. 180. Okay. Lists of events. So what he's talking about here is the danger of what he calls holding review files and piles. I think that's what you're referring to there with your mate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've actually underlined this. If you have a project that you don't really think about but it deserves a flag at some point in the future, you can pick an appropriate date and put a reminder about the project in your calendar for that day. It should go in some day-specific versus time-specific calendar slot for the things. See, I do that. What do you think of the tickler file, Mike? I, I think that... Just explain to our listeners what, what, what is well, being referred to as a tickler file. From, from, from the title, really. I think that... When I'm retired and I have time for a tickler file, I might have one. So just explain what one is. Well, it, well, it, well, it, I mean, I probably quite like that. He's saying they're sort of non-actionable items that you just need to keep an eye on, really. So what he's saying is a tickler file is if you've got something and it's not really important until May, you put it in the tickler file, and the tickler file you should have a file called May. And on the, pe- and on the page, there is actually a picture of several file tabs. I I'll hold up to the camera for those of you watching. Yeah, for those of you watching. So there, there, there is a picture of several file tabs in which you would tickle along said task and put it into the May folder. Now, respectfully to David, uh, Mike and I, when we first started in recruitment, that's what you would do with a contact. So if I rang Bill Smith at IBM and he said, call me back in May, he'd go into the tickler file until May. Mm-hmm. I do believe modern technology has superseded that somewhat and that one can file it. So, for example, it, 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 and I, going using the system I use currently, you can just, there's a little button where you can just say, listen, come back to me in May, mate. And it will turn back up in May. Absolutely. Come on, we've got to so, keep on the road here. Chapter 8, reflecting, keeping it all fresh and functional. Um, I do agree with that. You know, he, he, he's talking about you know, I think it's a good chapter. If you're going to, if you're going to use this system, you should keep it working. You'd take your car for an MOT. Yes, and and you'd act correct. If you've got, if your system's working, it'll work. It'll only work as well as you make it work as well. Um, it is the reality. And whilst I'm not going to do it, if you are going to do it, you know, it talks about the weekly review and and like I say, he's very clear, isn't he? What is a weekly review? get clear he tells you actually how to do it and i've put here in his system it's all fine and i'd do it but i'm not going to use his system but you do use the system i don't use you the use la- you use large there portions. are similarities between mine system and his system but yes. i've never copied one of his bits system there are large I mean, a lot of it's common sense yes absolutely common sense and do you know i think a lot of it is common sense and a desire Desire so, to be organised. Anyway, Jonathan, the light going off tells us we're running a long time on this. We are. So, where were we? Well, I'm on chapter nine, which I've put as a decent chapter. Engaging, making the best action choices, it's called. Okay. I wrote here, I don't really feel like he truly answers the question of, it's Monday AM, what should I do next? You're on chapter nine? Yes. Well, 
what should I do right now with my yeah, time? Yeah, but he said you've got a good model for choosing the actions at the moment, which is what is the context, time available, energy available, and priority. Now, I think that's a good good decision matrix, that. If you looked at the context, the time available, the energy available, and the priority. Yeah, okay. So I think that's a good way of doing it, that, isn't it? You know, so at some point uh, this week, I have got to phone the Platelet Donation Society. Now, I am not going to do that at 10 o'clock stood at my desk. No. But I might do that when I'm on the train down to London. Yes. So you think about the context, time available, energy available priority. For example, if you've got an accurately created lunchtime context list yeah. of lunchtime issues, then if it's lunchtime, you'll do your lunchtime tasks. Exactly. If you've got an accurately curated list of phone tasks. Well, I mean, this guy's right. If you have travelled to meet a client at her office and on arrival discover the meeting will be delayed for 15 minutes you will want to refer to the calls list for something you could use your time productively. Your action list should fold in or out based on what you could possibly do at that time. He is right. It's about using your time effectively and filling it with the right stuff. 100% right. Yeah, it's, it's like I said earlier, though. I would have liked, and I can't wait to you get know, him on the show. Energy available. This is also excellent. You can't knock that. No, and that's a really useful one. Um, so what he's saying is... He's saying when you're tired on a Friday afternoon, don't... Do stuff that requires your maximum. Correct. So what? Yeah, he, he makes a very strong point of of actually working towards the available energy, but then still being productive when you're at low energy. And we do have fluctuations in the week of energy. Friday afternoon, I'm normally a bit tired. I don't know what you're like. I'm absolutely fine. Absolutely, because you're just a superior um, being to me. Um, that notwithstanding, um, <laughs> there are times where you are more thoughtful, times where you are more creative, times where you are less thoughtful, times where you are less creative. Well, I always used to think many years ago, when I always used to come in as, a, as an account handler, when I worked at Jacko's and I was 23. <laughs> well, you, I knew you never the, used to, I really, knew psychologically, the, you never used to turn up till Wednesday. No, but I knew the thing I needed to do on a Monday was I knew I needed to get on my phone. Just smash your phone. But that was more about keeping me off your back. But the master, because the context was right, because you were there a bit grumpy as well. Yeah, I was hungover too. And then you must have grumpy thinking, oh, God, he's on his phone. I'm going to have to get my phone. I just had a better class of hangover by then. <laughs> but you know what I mean, though? That, and I do think this chapter about using your time wisely and cleverly is really smart, actually. Because I tell you now, what always surprises me, actually, when you, when you catch the train from King's Cross to Leeds, train's delayed, whatever, I see salespeople sat in the pub. What are you doing? And I think... Why aren't you doing something else that's more productive? But you know what? The productive ones aren't sat in the pub. No, but there is also time and place for rest, recovery, rejuvenation. And not everything is good for you. Some things are good for your spirit, Mike. Yes. And on chapter 218, best sentence in the book, actually, I have learned over the years that the most important thing to deal with is whatever is most on your mind. The fact that you think it shouldn't be on your mind is irrelevant. Is yes. Like, if it's on your Do you know mind, I highlighted exactly that same thing? Buy cat food might not necessarily rank high on some theoretical prioritising inventory, but if that's what's pulling on you the most in the moment, then handling it in some way should be job done. Once you handle what has your attention, it frees you up to notice what really has your attention, which, when you handle that, will allow you to see what really has your attention, and so on. Exactly. And it is so true. And, and, that, and then what he talks about are the multiple levels, ground, horizon one... Uh, Horizon 2, which is current job responsibilities. Uh, Horizon 3 to 5, which are uh, 
lower levels, most of with uh, actions, projects, and areas of responsibility. And then what he really gets into is that these higher horizons where you start to think about goals, roles. And what's really interesting is this book comes at a very different angle, for example, than the seven habits paradigm of looking at what's important to you, what your roles and goals are in life, and organising your time around those big rocks. Yeah, I mean, I prefer Seven Habits. It's an interesting battle between the two, isn't it? I much prefer it. What's interesting is, if you look in my Asana projects list, I have one projects list that says JG roles, and I have another projects list called JG goals. And actually, when I do my weekly review, I look at my roles and my goals. Good. And my values. Chapter 10. But what David Allen is saying is, you can't manage your time around values-driven thinking if actually you've got on the back of your mind that you've got to buy cat food. Yeah, yeah. I get it. That's his point. Mm. And then we're into chapter 10, which is getting projects under control, which I feel is a little bit of a reiteration of what we've already read. Yeah, I'll put it here. You know, being reset. He talks a bit about using decent thinking tools, having good pen... Uh, using a whiteboard it's it's very you know let's detailed. get it right I bet you've got a mind mapping application that you use yeah I have yeah it's one of the few applications that I pay for actually My, uh, mind meister I, mind muck mind meister is the one I use and sometimes when I can't think straight I use it I, a lot actually if I can't think straight about breaking a project or a piece of work into different bits I do mind map it use it a lot yeah and then that's the end of part two and then we're into part three really I think which, which we should just quickly skip through now Part three... This is going to be a long show, Johnny. It is. Okay. Part, but in reality, part three kind of takes us all the way home. Um, so part three, listeners, it's all about the key power of the principles. So this is, in many respects, the theory behind it. It's the theory behind it. He should have started with it. You know, the personal benefit he talks about. Yeah. You know, he talks about the source of negative feelings. The sense of of anxiety and guilt doesn't come from having too much to do. It's the automatic result of breaking agreements with yourself. And what he talks a lot about here is the concept of not getting stuff done and having things that are open loops. Each open loop is an agreement you've got with yourself. Correct, yeah. And that open loop might be the box of batteries on your desk that you promise yourself you put in your drawer but not having done it for three weeks because you've left it on your desk is an open loop and an agreement you've broken with yourself. Absolutely. As an example. And then what he talks about is what you can do with those agreements. And that's that's all useful stuff. Um, and the importance of making that complete inventory of you of you, what you're doing. He talks about completing the agreement. Now, I use a Google uh, Tasks for my personal stuff. And he says, of course, another way of getting rid of the negative feelings about your stuff is just finish it. And I've got to say, there's something very nice about clicking the box on Google Tasks going, complete. Yeah, there is. Complete. It's done that. You feel good about the world knocking a task off your list, don't you? You think, yeah, I've completed it. That's good. Absolutely. You always feel good about knocking a task off your list. I like this bit. Why bright people procrastinate the most? Did you read that? Yeah, I didn't, didn't agree with that. That was nonsense. That they, get, that they get more neurotic and almost think too much and rather than nonsense. doing it down. Nonsense, well, he's saying it's backed up by science. Well, it's interesting because he goes into a lot of science. Yes, he does. And what he goes into is the cognitive science behind the basis upon which he created the GTD What's interesting about this, on page 251, I need to trust that any request or relevant information I put in an email or voicemail in a conversation or in a written note will get into the other person's system so it'll be processed and organised soon. 
What's interesting with Gmail now is if I send you a, uh, anything, any email from Gmail that has a question or action in it, Gmail automatically reminds you in three days. Wow. I know you don't use Gmail much, but I use it all the time. No, my Gmail is literally for junk. And no, it's his Gmail. Junk and personal procurement. No, no, that's, no, that's a recent stuff. thing, that. So if I send to you, you know, um, a, a, you know, an email saying, you know, do you, do you want to go to the pub? In three, if you haven't responded to that email in three days, that remind me you haven't responded. That's cool. Well, good that isn't it? Really good. That's in Gmail. That's really cool. Mm. I, I rate that. And then it goes into the power of natural planning, shifting to a positive organisational culture. It, it's all useful stuff. And then he talks about GTD and cognitive science, which is all worth reading. Distributed cognition, and there's some really interesting stuff in here. How is it all relevant to GTD? relieving the cognitive load of incompletions and he gives some really good theory i think one of the bits that he talks about here that's very valid is what he calls flow theory and the concept of being in flow and i do think you know you often see the really high performers they are in the zone aren't they they're just in that flow well, you always state. get that with the really top people they're always an absolute nightmare to get hold of them once you get hold of them you get their hundred their their undivided it's because they're attention. in complete flow on any given so, you know, it's like on, on Saturday afternoon, I was telling you, I spent some time on my computer working on a music project and I lost five hours of time. Literally, it just disappeared. Why? Because I was in flow. You should have watched TV. Do you reckon I should have just put the Roger Nelly on? Yeah, yeah. So but, what, where are you up to what page are you up to here? So I'm on 279, flow oh, theory. Ahead of me. Wow. Yeah, and self-leadership theory, all really good stuff. And that, in reality, takes us to the end of the book. Well, chapter 14 I thought was quite interesting. Which was? GTD and cognitive science. Have you done that? Well, there's yeah. a bit, I can't remember where it is now, which chapter it's in, um, where it said that this has been backed up and used by a university somewhere. Do you know what's interesting about GTD, Mike? And interesting about task and time and productivity management is how long have we been running IRC now? Oh, ages. Ages. We've been at it a while. We've had some good employees, we've had some bad employees, we've had some amazing stellar employees, we've, we've employed different people over the years, people come, people go, people stay a long time, people don't. I would say the vast majority of the people we've hired have been of graduate age. Yes. Probably 85-90%. Something that never ceases to stun me is how when the people arrive they have no grounding, irrespective of the fact that they're 40 grand in the hole on university fees, topped up to the eyeballs with student loans. They've got no grounding, training, understanding or skill in simply managing their own I agree with that, but what, what, frustrate, I tell what frustrates me about time management, actually, not necessarily this book is, is time management is just dead easy. Get a system, be strict and stick to it and don't get distracted. And actually, the snowflakes get distracted. That's their number one problem, really. Because we're in that it's, distraction it's, it's, economy. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like, uh, a bit like playing golf. I think, which is when you watch somebody play golf and they address the ball and they're not stood correctly. I always think, why aren't you stood correctly? Tag Woods doesn't stand like that. Just stand properly. Stand properly. Because <laughs> if you don't stand properly, you're never going to get the ball right. But you see, so many amateur golfers don't stand correctly at the ball, and literally. Unless you've got some physical Im impediment. Grip the club right, stand properly. Hold you put your hands around the club correctly. Why don't people do it? And it's a bit like time management, which is 
without doing it, people are setting themselves up to fail. Yes. Irrespective of whether it's David Allen or Stephen Covey or whoever. And do you think what system... Do you think the the different systems matter or do you think what's more important is having a system? I think it's, it's, like having, selling, it's having a system. Having a system. I don't like David Allen's system. It doesn't not, matter if you swing I'm the club like Lee Trevino as long as you swing it the same every single time. Yes, but you're making it harder for yourself. If you're trying to, if you're trying to copy a swing and a stance, you won't copy his. No. If, if I was trying to copy a swing and a stance, I'd copy Luke Donald or Paul Casey. Nice, straight. Dead straight stance. They're not swinging the arms off it. I'm not going to try and copy Bubba Watson. So you go for the most solid, simple swing to copy. And I think you go for the most solid, simple thing. Anyway, getting things done. For me, yeah, it's going to be five out of ten. I know you're going to give it high because you really like it, but... I'm not. I'm going to give it six out of ten. I think it gives quite much more highly than that. I'm going to give it six out of ten with a few caveats, listeners. And the six out of ten with the caveats are, you've got to read it. But because some of it is a bit antiquated from a technological perspective, he loses four marks. But actually, for a book that's been revised in 2015, um, I would. If somebody rang me today and said, "Johnny, you know, I get I get quite a lot of email pricey about book club, a lot of email about." Book I don't get club. any about it. I get loads. Um, people asking, "What was that you mentioned on the show? And what was this? And what was that?" If somebody messaged me on LinkedIn next week and said, right, I'm disorganised, I'm going to get on top of it, what am I doing? Stephen Covey or GTD? <sighs> Covey would win 10 times out of 10 for me. I would say... I'd actually choose Near Isle over, De- over David Allen. I would say you've got to combine the two because you've got to learn to think about your projects a bit better and you've got to learn to think about your next actions a bit better. What I feel is missing from GTD is, one, he's technologically miles away. Two... Uh, I don't. I feel that it's missing the concept of planning the day. He doesn't really get to the nitty gritty of it's Monday morning. What are you going to do next? Mm, see, I what, think he did cover that all right, actually. And at some point, I think you have to prioritise projects. You have to actually say that's more important than that. Yes, I do agree with that. You have at some got... point you have to look at a project and go that project's more important. That project's urgent and important. That project's important, but it can wait. Yeah, it doesn't And that, that project I'm therefore going to spend between 2 and 4pm on tomorrow. And between 4 and 6pm, I'm going to spend some time on that. And he doesn't talk enough about blocking time out of your diary to get stuff done. What he does talk about is getting it all in a place where you can contextually work on it. But I think in the universe you and I live in, that's not necessarily great. So my advice would be to a listener, would be to read both and create a system but I, what I do think is really missing for me, where he loses the four marks, is one, some of the antiquated technological references, and two, there's just not enough allusion to mon- blocking stuff out your diary so that it happens. Fair enough. And that, listeners, is the end of this show. We've only done two shows on this book. David is joining us in a couple of weeks, so we will reprise this book as a conversation item as he will be the guest on Book Club. I think that's a few weeks away, isn't it, Lily? So what we're going to be doing next week, and next week's show will be... Show one will be, Michael is going to bring in five books that have really influenced his career. Okay. And the week after, I'm going to do the same. And then we are next after that, the book that we're doing, and everybody can look out for it as soon as it's ready, will be Mark Hunter's new book, which is called Lily... Oh, Lily doesn't know. 
It's Mark Hunter's new book. He is the author of High Profit Prospecting. He's got a new one coming out. It's that new, Mike, that we're getting PDF pre-release copies. And obviously, by the time we've reviewed it on Book Club, everybody else can go out and read it. Sounds good. So thank you very much for listening and goodbye. <laughs>